Welcome to Bad Pod Die, a Babylon Project miniseries about the comic book die where we tumble through feelings about RPGs and some terrible British nerds. I'll be your game master, Justin. And joining me are my two players, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, I've already asked how you're doing. So You you promised a story. You promised our listeners. Oh yes, a story. I did. Uh so I have to talk about the because uh, I, I mentioned this in the last recording. And we're on the double end. We're we're on the second recording of the night, which means that like I don't care how they're doing anymore. I've already got them here, and I've already <laughs> like done like my magic thing. And I did I did mention this. So um, when I was in high school and college, I played a lot of Warhammer 40k, um, which surprises none of you, and probably even less that I played Blood Angels, which are the which are like vampire uh gay faction of space marines and, um a out of date that because games workshop had failed to update it that it was still slightly broken loved that <laughs> um because i was like i don't know for those of you who have not been to a games workshop in i don't know if it's still like this but when i went there's like, you know, you can buy your games workshop miniatures there. But you can, There would also be like a hobby area where you could like assemble and paint miniatures as well. And, and there was also like tables where you could play on. Um, and I would come in there like every weekend I was not working. Uh, and I, you know, I would come in, you know, I'd play and you know, I'd play games. I would paint and stuff. Um, like I got to know a bunch of people and there was like whenever you're like in any space like that, or you go to a hobby store, you run into like characters. There was one guy named JJ. Characters. Um, JJ was, <laughs> he, he liked to argue and he liked to argue about stuff in rule books that he was wrong about. Oh boy. Um, which, and, and you know, we would like, this would get into a thing where like, you know, JJ would say a thing, argue about it get into a tangent, somebody would actually pull out a rule book and prove him wrong or pull out a lore thing and pull him, prove him wrong. Dude like to talk out of his ass, which leads us to where I do not know what started this argument, but it was about breath weapons, which are like, you know, like flamethrowers or like poison spray, stuff like that. And led to a point where in the middle of a heated argument, JJ utters the words, shouting at the top of his voice, Will in real life a dragon? <laughs> and that sentence does not matter because yep. everybody <laughs> in like this tiny little ball, like this, this tiny little like one front store in this ball turns and everybody has a grin on their face because they know that they have just been handed the ammunition to win every argument in the next six months. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I ever heard in a games workshop. I love that. That's both so better stupid. and worse than I was expecting. Yeah. And like, there are like three people in like my friend group still who, if I say, will in real life, to get them to crack instantly. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, all right. Tonight, um, this episode, we are covering issues 15 and 16 of Die. So we are we are bridging the end of volume three and the start of volume four. So there is a little bit of a pop and a time skip. Um, 
These are written by Kieran Gillen, art by Stephanie Collins, letters by Clayton Cowles. Our first issue is PvP, and we start with a quote from William S. Burroughs, who, as far as I know, isn't like a huge, wasn't like, isn't like, like influential in game history, but does have a section on his Wikipedia of magical beliefs, which is how you know somebody's life was a banger. <laughs> Occultists are always fun. Like, sometimes not good people, but always interesting. Um, I say as somebody who is thoroughly braid rotted. Um, our quote is, all games are hostile. Basically, there is only one game, and that game is war. It's the old army game of eternity. So Matt shows up in Angria, and Izzy tells Ash about Matt's dad dying. Ash says that she will home, but Isabel's like, our work isn't, one, our work isn't finished. Two, I think we are past going home at this point. Isabel makes a decent called the Dreamer, to put the entire city to sleep so that no one will get in Matt's day. Just the three of them. Oh, and Augustus. And Sol. <laughs> <laughs> in Glastown, Angela, Chuck, and the two dwarves fight over the forge with the progress bar on Angela's hacking going way too slow. I swear to God, this is like every, like every boss fight you have where you're like, okay, you actually have to do this thing for the progress bar to, to like, the progress bar is not linear. You actually have to go kill the waves of enemies for it to progress. <laughs> yeah. God damn it. I, fuck. Uh, I like, I, I'm sure I could think of like, given enough time, I could think of like three mass effect set pieces that do this. In the heat of the fight, Dower ends up taking a shot for Chuck and dying. Uh, Chuck tells uh, Angela to hurry up and she releases Molly from her hold as she focuses all of her resources with the fallen daughter attacking her in the dungeon with soul, um, Augustus, Ash, and Isabel await Matt. Um, Ash asks Isabel again the price the mourner asks. She reveals the price was that Isabel came for her own, which she says she never wanted, but she always wondered. Matt arrives with his two weapons. Isabel calls in all her favors using the bear and Pyrrhus the victor, but it's Matt's rage and grief. To stop Augustus from joining the fight, Ash uses the voice, which sets Zamorna free. Who immediately <laughs> is like, to go home and kill the people who enslaved me. Um, yep. She tries the voice on Matt, and that is of absolutely no effect. It's like, it is worse than using um, a normal type move against a ghost Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was particularly good. I like that. Sol offers her his die, and she takes it. As she commands herself to feel no pain, ready to take out her eye, Aust Augustus stops her and is like, wait, 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 before you do this, there's no magic in that thing. I love that he <laughs> waits till now to notice that. Uh, there is no power in that die. Sol realizes terrified that he is not the Grand Master, and he never was. The Master is still a player. Yep. So, never <sighs> defeated the Grand Master. Well, they they defeated someone who called, called himself, himself the Grand, Grand Master. <laughs> Which is perhaps just a construct of the world. Well, there to be defeated. Good question. Yeah. 
Ash turns back to Matt, standing up for Izzy and begs him to stop. She pleads with Matt that the real threat was never sold, but it is die threatening the real world. She says that his dad did not raise a murderer. Matt sees, then kills an approaching Zamorda, like, with a single, like, he, no 60, he, like, 360 no-scopes, like, with, like, blind shots <laughs> Zamorda with a single stroke, before reminding him that his friends made him a murderer. Forced to choose Molly and the hack, Angela chooses Molly, and the forge finishes its construction. The dice are created and begin burrowing into the earth. Sometime later, the others arrive. Soul, stricken by something inside him, declares that when the dice reach the center, they will go into the real world, and the two planets will become one. The dwarf, delighted, says there is one cave on die, one that reaches its center, with perils and challenges. It's a fucking dungeon. <laughs> How absolutely, like, not even horrified, but just tired and disgusted Matt is with this information. You're just like, fuck it. I didn't sign up for a dungeon crawl. I'm so done with this shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and it's like, uh, God, God damn it. Like, uh, why did you have to spend that last piece of gold to like fucking send Matt back to Korea when you could have like beaten that fucking progress bar with your quick hack? Fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah. <laughs> These are the choices that matter. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's certainly an interesting one. <laughs> yeah. oh. Quote that you have plucked out here, Justin, Gladriel absolutely would have taken the ring when she was younger is super spot on. Yeah. The full, oh. the full quote is, um, it's when soul offers Ash the die. Um, I can feel Galadriel judging, judge me. What would Galadriel do? Not this, but, when I read the Silmarillion, one thing kept nagging at me. Galadriel would have absolutely taken the ring. I know I'm not young in any real way, but I'm young for an elf. Just give it to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, great, great quote. Um, oh, yeah. And for those of you wondering whether Gillen is taking liberties with Tolkien's material. Uh, no, I 100% agree that young Galadriel would have taken the ring. Young Galadriel marching Valinor in the on the coattails of someone she unreservedly hates because she wants to set up her own and have her own little fief to rule and and be the boss. Young Galadriel's got big dreams and big goals. And if you offered her the the ring of power to make that happen, totes taking it. Especially like first stage Galadriel, who, yeah. Yeah. Maybe not stage Galadriel, but certainly first stage Galadriel. It, as the companion to that quote, too, a few pages later, we have, I was never Cleopatra. I was never Galadriel. I was never actually ruling. I was just manipulating the ruler. I was only ever fucking young. <laughs> that, that was like... A yeah. great, oh. like, mic drop line for me. Yeah, that's a very good one. It does raise all kinds of questions, this issue. Oh, yeah. Like like I said, first of all, why did nobody notice until this moment that that is not the actual Grandmaster's die in his fucking skull? Has Augustus meaningfully interacted with Sol before? They've no. all got magical powers. How? Pay close attention to it, though. Angela's got, like, 
magic radar. None of them had detect magic. Because it was the first time it was outside of Saul's head. Uh, I mean... Oh, yeah. Was it? Didn't he put it in his eye when they first arrived? Start of like issue one. The other one. Yeah. That was the other D20. Interesting. So he's just been walking around with like a dummy D20 in his eye socket. Man, <sighs> Saul got bamboozled. Poor Saul. Bummer. I can't wait to find out who who's like behind all this. Oh, I, I'm forward to like later tonight seeing you scream at me. I demand tweet. I demand <laughs> like you, you live vlogging me. You're you reading the last yeah. four issues. Another of these because because we I think we have to get them like once every like like every other recording is that um, when he gives her the die, he says all for you, including stress, which that is the most fucking like wish. Right. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> every single like it's like every other I- issue. I like ship them a little bit more. Yeah. Or like ship the people that they use. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily ship Ash and a zombie, but I think I ship Ash and, like, Teen Ash and Teen Saul. I think I yeah. get them. Yeah, it's the whole thing of, like, getting getting to know each other again, and maybe, like, I don't know what, I don't know what, like, the, the rules for undead, or, like, or, or how, how, I don't know how Ash feels about the undead, but I think that, like, you think they can work if, yeah, and I feel like if this group games in 2023 first of all they would play they would play better games than D D. Mm-hmm. and ash would have been bumping uglies like yeah. mm-hmm. okay okay <laughs> okay and, they, and that, that would question. have been the world's messiest i have a question what would have been their game if they were playing t- games today so um i think that I like if they were like if we're if we were pl- if they were playing this when this game like when the comic was coming out, I think the game that would have absolutely rocked their sh- would have been Nobilis. Interesting, interesting. Like choice. that that would be the game that Saul would. That's the game that Saul wants to run, but he mm-hmm. doesn't know because it hasn't been written yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nobilis is a. Is a fin. It's a fantasy game, um, but like you basically play like gods or personifications of like concepts. Wild. That's that's yeah. Wow. It's a really weird system, but it's very cool. Yeah. I've never played it, but I I had the book uh, before I moved, and um, it's it's a it's a beautiful book, and it's a really interesting system. Yeah, I mean, like, like if, like, if they, if they, like, wait two years and va- and they, and like, they get to and Vampire the Masquerade gets imported over, they, they fix like forty percent of their problems. As <laughs> <laughs> if this, if this, this could have only taken place in nineteen ninety one, because if it was, if it was played even a few years later, they would, they would have not had this problem. If we want to play something other than D and D, it's like, okay, we got World of Darkness. This shit was made for you, dumbasses. Yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, that was so. That was. Good. Yeah my like joke answer would be they're the group that plays world of darkness because they can't all agree on which world of darkness game to play so they've got like a vampire a werewolf a mage and a mummy all in one party 
yeah. I think for a modern game, I don't know for a modern game though. Like I, so it's like, yeah, I mean like I feel, uh, yeah, I feel like that or something like PBTA. Like, I feel like, I feel yeah. like Saul would be at home with that. Like, like the, the idea of genre emulation and creating that I think would be. Yeah. Smooch for him. Yeah. That'd be. Yeah. I can see that. I keep thinking about like what the I would look like if we like cobbled it together from modern role playing systems. Oh Yeah. And like, I, I, like what what what's you know what about what does Grant Howitt's little, <laughs> little square look like? <laughs> That's the, it. Would be the most fucked up horny realm. Also, it would be a giant dick. Also, it would be a d twenty. It would be a giant. It, no, no. So it would be spire, but it's a dick. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh so, my god. L- Legitimate question here, though. Do we think that a modern, a modern uh, role-playing system version of Die would be a D or would it be a f- goddamn fucking D six? I mean, it would be a D twenty. Yeah, but everything's on, everything plays on a goddamn D six. Yes, but D right? twenty is like the like spiritual totem of gamers. It doesn't matter that people use d6s for masks when people go to the game store they buy a, a D set like when you buy a t-shirt you buy a t like the d20 is just the icon of gamers it just is i i think like from a spirit like a spiritual standpoint the d20 is our 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 sort of iconic d- item not not a d6 um that's monopoly not not gaming um we should get back to the subject. I'm pretty proud of that question. I, I will just say one final question is when are you, you running Grant Howitt's new vampire Nazi eating game for me, Justin? Um, I'll, I'll, I haven't actually looked at it yet. I, I would like, I, I imagine, Oh my God. I imagine it would be a very good Halloween game, um, which there's not a lot of time left, but um, it's the most beautiful I've ever looked at. Uh, I will have to take a look at it because I, I, yeah. Uh, this game, too. I, I don't know if Aaron's going to even leave any of this in, but the game is called Eat the Reich. It was just kickstarted, uh, written by Grant Howitt, art by Will Kirkby. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever backed on Kickstarter. It is a fucking work of art where you play vampires airdropped into uh, occupied France on a mission to eat Hitler. Incredible. It's, Amazing. I especially like the part in the introduction where it specifically says that violence against Nazis doesn't count. That's why it's okay to kill Nazis in, in games as opposed to like orcs, which is not okay because orcs don't have a choice. Yep. And I'm warning you, any of our listeners, if you come out with any clean Wehrmacht bullshit, I will raise your ass until it is grass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's, uh, I think we're done with, with PVP. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, what one thing from PvP that we didn't, we haven't talked about is R.I.P. Dower. Yeah, no, my boy, oh my god, or da- and I, I, the saddest part of Dower dying is that delighted can't mourn. Yeah, that yeah. sucks. It's. I yeah, feel and 
Yeah. And and Delighted's quip about one-dimensional characters is uh woof. Yeah, that is a heartbreaking bit of self-awareness right there. Yeah. Chuck says, Delighted. I'm sorry, but and delighted with a smile on his face and crying says, I know, but I am delighted. It is who I am and nothing. I wish I could grieve for my friend, but one dimensional characters such as we are not allowed such freedom. Oof. Rough. And this is, and this is also like after the first, you know, the two of them, Chuck like mocked, mocked them for being one note characters too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Ready to so we're we're gonna enter the final volume of Die here. Um I, I do like now that we're in the last one, I do wanna go through like the um the, the, the volume titles because I love them. Um volume one is called Fantasy Heartbreaker. Um which is a reference to the in like the eighties and nineties when D D clones would get made, they were called Heartbreakers. Because some poor sap would pour his heart and soul into trying to make the next D&D only to have it sit on the shelf and never be bought (laughs) and break this poor fart's heart. And it is continued to this day as a name for whenever somebody writes a a game that is very clearly never going to sell a million copies. Um, Volume two is Split the Party. Uh, Three is The Great Game. And volume four is Bleed. Um, which if you're, if you're not somebody who spends way too much time on the internet and discussing RPG theory, you might not know what bleed means. Uh, bleed is the, the, we'll call it the technical term for emotional bleed through of a game. So like I have had a very intense role-playing session and some sad things happened. And the next day I'm about it. In in the most basic of senses. Like the time my GM in my Star Wars game a number of years ago killed one of our favorite NPCs and my buddy Max literally had to call him the next day and talk about his emotions because he was feeling so overwrought at the of Freddy LaGeorge, the uh, much beloved <laughs> Ithorian engineer. He stood... He. Max stood outside my work with just with big near tear eyes waiting for me to get off work so that he so that he would have someone to talk to about 40's death. <laughs> uh, I also that that name never will get it. Big ups to James for an improvised name that really went the distance. That's real. That's that's really what it is. It's just it's all about the the, the names you make up on the spot. Yep. So we move on to chapter sixteen, Thacko. Um, our our quote here is from the goat, and I do not mean Tolkien, I mean Terry Pratchett. This is fantasy is almost a sea in which other genres swim. The man who is in fact a master of making other genres fit into fantasy. Yeah. That that is that is a fantastic. I'm not sure that I'd seen that Terry p- quote before, but that is a fantastic Terry quote. Oh yeah, I love it. And Jude, you really need to read some some Discworld one of these days. Yes, I'm aware. I I I am aware that I I have put myself on the hook to read a read some some T patch uh, 
by doing goblinography. So I, I'm in the process of doing so. All right. So start off on a boat. I'm on um, a boat. Everyone's going on a road trip. I mean, wait, not road. We have a pretty big time skip um, where uh, the party is on a boat. Uh, Delighted exposes that the west of the Dreaming Lands, which we don't know what the Dreaming Lands are, uh, there is an island in the center of the sea in the here be something significant the dragons part of the map. Uh, For what it's worth, as soon as you said Dreaming Lands, my uh, alarms went off because uh, (laughs) I have read... A lot of where this is going, Dreaming Lands, capital D, capital L, is not a is a proper noun. Uh, if you've read enough, uh, yep, yeah, I haven't. I haven't even read a lot of the source material, but boy, howdy, have I played RPG of it? Yep, <laughs> I can't. I cannot wait to go into this. All right. In the time that has passed, Augustus has been left as ruler of Angria, and they've set him up for a pretty strong rule. Ash is being kept under muzzle and imprisoned on the ship with Sol. Uh, Matt tentatively has taken up a leadership role, and as he goes to check in on Sol and Ash, he finds that Sol was about to break into Ash's cage to try to eat her. As Matt restrains Sol, Sol says he has an idea to stop him from trying to feed. He suggests ungagging Ash to use the voice on him, holding her voice occupied and him unable to attack anybody. Eventually, they reach the island, and moment there where they dock the ship, the Gothic. The inhabitants are all pallid and strange, and there's only dudes here. Um, the party splits, and Matt and Angela find fallen which extend all the way down past even the sea which molly home chuck and delighted check out a suspiciously empty bar and the dreamer directs izzy to a house where several inhabitants are participating in a ritual chanting hold on i'm gonna get the voice for this thako con thako stir thako 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 san uh, they sacrifice someone in a horrific ritual butchering and eating them um, back on the docks, as Sol drinks some awful rum, he slowly starts to remember that he has been to this island before. The group discusses what to do, and Isabel says that they cannot spend a night on this island. There's crazy cultists here. Sol explains that before dice, people read the future in guts. The inhabitants here have no dice, so they kill to know their fate. In his one cogent, non-stupid idea, suggests they try to find an underwater passage in the ship's submersible. Hey, you think we get to meet Jules Verne? Um, however, as they, we see that the answer is not Jules Verne, as the caves are in fact part of the statue of a huge statue of a man. They emerge and we get to meet the man, the myth, the racist fuck. Uh, Howard Philip Lovecraft. <laughs> he says, uh, uh, he says that they can call him Howard. Uh, and he has seen such awful things. But he found a way to stop them, and we get to see that Howard, that Lovecraft, has basically clawed his eyes out. Yep. Um, he tells them they walk inside a monstrous sleeping god, and he can show them the way, but there is no escape. Uh, I think it's interesting that they, I mean, th- this is telegraphed very, I mean, if you are casually yeah. familiar with Lovecraft's telegraphed uh oh yeah the, honestly honestly the, the moment i saw the goddamn boat i was like this is going to be called cthulhu isn't it <laughs> yeah the dingy boat the dreaming lands 
the wide, wide-eyed people that all have the look about them. Oh yeah, this is like this is Innsmouth as fuck. Yeah. It's Although Innsmouth I will say that when when they started chanting Thacko, I like had this like I had this like moment of being like, wait, 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 wait. Are are these like are these like the D and D like like D and D bros? Is this what this is? Oh god. <laughs> it's honestly, if it had been Gygax, that would have been. That would Terrifying. have been pretty funny. Right? Because like that's that's what I think of when I think Thacko, right? If Gary Gygax is the the grandmaster at the heart of all this, I'm gonna be a little bit salty. <laughs> I will I will tell you, he is not. Thank you. Lovecraft is such a we get more of him in the next issue, I yeah. assume. Uh he's such a complicated figure. Um Yeah. And I call him like a thing I will say is that like I call him the racist fuck. He is he is somebody who like I all, we know so much about Lovecraft because the man wrote letters constantly and like later in life like walked back some of the shit that he said and expressed beliefs in um which like I mean I'm not going to absolve him but like the dude did apparently like learn some shit. Um Good for him. That that does not excuse like that does not uh, like hide the fact that uh, like his he is possibly the greatest writer about the fear of the other and the fear of the what I do not understand. Yeah, the like TFW you're so racist that you like invent an entire genre of fantasy. Between love between Cthulhu and D&D, those are those are I I would argue the two like the two biggest formative role-playing games yeah pre-1990 they're both on the surface about killing people fighting monsters and killing them and stuff it's just that call of cthulhu has a much weirder narrative loop dnd is go into a dungeon kill people take their shit sell it off for gold get better shit go to a new dungeon <laughs> the call of cthulhu's is Go into a place you really probably shouldn't because you have to. Be traumatized incredibly. Traumatize yourself further to gain power, defeat that evil, and then never go on an adventure again because you have rightly decided, fuck this shit. Yeah, pretty much. And like half of your friends are dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Call of Cthulhu is not, is not a game where one gets attached to one's character. <laughs> yeah. The... I do like I do find it interesting that like the the town is every town that sits out of sight of a dungeon that is like there are like there are two types there are two types of towns that sit outside a dungeon. There is the oh we are beset we are beset by ravening hordes and like please sir help us or oh there's some fucking weird shit going on in this town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the like empty streets, <laughs> the cultists. Yeah, like <laughs> What's going on here? And it was like, oh, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah. And there's a lot of, like, little phrases in describing the townspeople that are, like, also, like, yeah, this is going to be Lovecraft. The, like, mouth like a wound, like, phrasings like that. It's like, ah, yes. Oh, yeah. And, like, you have the look. That's the one that really set set me off. That's such a, that is such an insmouth, uh, fucking yeah. red flag 
This is such a weird issue, though, because in general, it's a very transitionary. I mean, yeah, yeah. The the version I'm reading is the omnibus, so yeah. I don't have the uh, volume breaks. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I did the reading through this. I didn't realize this was the transition between vo- volumes, and it makes sense that this is the start of a new volume because it it doesn't. It, it feels like a transition. Yeah into mm-hmm. something into a new into a new arc and um yeah it's setting things it's setting new new things up um more than advancing things yeah it sort of it reminds me of that jakar quote moments of revelation and moments of transition mm-hmm. yeah yeah where we've gotten our big moments of revelation a lot uh and uh but like right now it is the 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 moment like this is yeah this is like a, it's a, it's a transition it, it is moving towards like you know the what is going to be the end here because mm-hmm. um, we've only got four issues left which is wild to think about yeah yeah or I love Chuck's thing of I'm from the school of star gods beyond the uh, beyond time and space are best defeated with shotgun blast to the face which you know sometimes I'm that player <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Chuck's looking real rough too after this time oh, skip. Yeah. Uh he's not he's not looking healthy. Poor Chuck. Yeah. He is like he's wearing a bandana now. Like he like very like he, although, he's although the I, one who's, I suspect that the bandana is more about like genre. Yeah, because because yeah. presumably he's not presumably Chuck is not getting chemo in die. Yeah, but I think it is a good visual signal. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, but it kind of works because it's, we both had the like nautical pirate thing going on, and so like the bandana is like you know a vibe for that. But it also reminds the review the the reader that he he not doing good. Yeah, and like Chuck's dad, someone has to be dour. Yeah, that's a great Which, line. Like, I like that. Yeah. Part of me is like. When I was reading that, I was thinking like, there's a degree to which I wonder if Delighted finds that comforting that yeah. Chuck is acting like dour, but I don't think that's what Chuck's going for. I think Chuck is just dying and a shithead, a shithead and is doing what Chuck does. Yeah, I do. I do like where he says like, where he's like, you know, I would think about maybe going to the, to the, to the, to the dreamy glands, but it's like, so when they're in the bar, uh, delighted says, like, I would like to see the Dreaming Lands again. That is something I hope for. He pauses. Hmm, what a strange thing. I said that and I thought, that's where Dower would say something Dower. But now there is just the space. Sooner or later, we're all spaces. Yeah. It's just like, it's it's like, yeah, it's... I'm like, I, I, I love me a good dyad in fiction. Even if it's like a base level of them of happy and, happy and sad dwarf. And and you know, Dower or Delighted is mourning as best he can. Mm-hmm. We've also got, we've also got a bunch of um, Ash and Saul in this one, and you know, this one oh, yeah. also like I I like that we've been delving more and more into their relationship, mm-hmm. where they're just sitting on like they're sitting on the dock and they're just like talking about like going into Victoria Park. Or, you know, and talking about, like, how they 
thing to try to like ease some of the pain when they got back. Yeah. I was going to say, also, it's worth noting that in this issue, Ash is back to her original clothes um, or pretty close. Um, she She's not in her like, you know, queen, you know, evil queen costume. Yeah. She, she's back. She's back in adventuring regalia. Yeah. Which I think makes sense. She is no longer the queen. Uh, yeah. I, I, to, to piggyback off our like last episode where Augustus, uh, like with Augustus's complicated feelings regarding Ash, we get a flashback to like them giving them getting the ship from Angria and, Ash thinking like I if we didn't do that if we didn't we should have never gone to Angria didn't do this I would have never met Augustus and I wouldn't have this feeling it's bittersweet but I have this feeling yeah and tells her that if she ever returns her you will be dead as father I mean yeah. yeah it's it's the whole thing of like he knows that his mother is a monster of some sort but you know is is a good hero and a good boy. The, the child yeah. of two monsters and a god. Yeah. You got to wonder what... I don't know. I, I, I'm very interested to, to, to see if we get more of Augustus, if we find out more what's going on there. If we find out... If there's an after for Augustus. I don't know. Maybe they destroyed die. I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think what else, what else do I have for this issue? Um, I do like the, I do like the submarine. It's very 20,000 leagues under the sea. And like, you know, it's Lovecraft, but you're, but I love that they're prepared for the fake. Like they're preparing you for the fake. thinking it's Jules Verne. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it'd be enough to fool somebody who was not so familiar with, um, <laughs> Lovecraft and Call of Cthulhu, I think potentially. I think the, I think the first time I read it, the 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 the, the cultist chanting Thacko, um, I I love it. It's like it is what people think the Satanic Panic like. It's what people behind the Satanic Panic thought D and D was. Right? That seems yeah. so bizarre. Which I love. Um, like between the submarine and like the. And like the like you know, you know everything, I was yeah. like ready for it to be Jules Verne. But when I saw the Lovecraft, I was like, I remember reading this when it first came out, and I was like, I am one hooting and two hollering. Yeah, because like I was ready for it to be either at that point. Yeah, the, the the other one that like the other piece that made me be like, wait, is this like, um, like A D and D Bros? Is this one of this? the the um description of the townspeople of like um that they're they're afraid of ash as if they'd never seen a woman in their lives <laughs> which also goes for lovecraft though yeah i mean yeah. the cultists are D D players yeah. they are oh, i love it i love it it's such a like i love it as just like a really weird sad piece it's just funky i also i also found the the thing of they call back to you know, using trails for divination to be really interesting. And um, I'd actually forgotten about that completely when I was talking about um, my theory that the, the fair are doing something more like that's more akin to divination than making decisions. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, isn't a dice roll just divination? Isn't a dice roll in an RPG just divination? True, true. This is... Uh, I I think that, like, the, there there's, like, probably, like, 20% of our listeners are just, like, just a shut up about RPG theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I figured that yeah. that 20% probably probably tapped out after the first episode and will join us uh, join us after we're done with this miniseries. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they might have tapped out when June started to fight a U catastrophe. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We got anything else that we want to talk on in this one? Yeah, I think, I think I'm good. <laughs> All right. We will, we will get to talk more specifically about uh, this fuck uh, Lovecraft next time. Um, so join us for, oh God, I, lo- I love the, the, the two next issue names. It's going to be issue 17 and 18, Total Party Kill and Lines and Veils. Incredible. Until next time, keep rolling. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. End of recording.